Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. Dobry večer and welcome to the Bohemian Podcast with Piet Coleman and Travis Doe. Good evening from Prague. Welcome to the Bohemian Podcast. I'm Pete Coleman. And I'm Travis Dow from the History of Alchemy Podcast. Tonight's podcast title is called Sokol. Does that mean anything to you? No. Does it mean something to you? It should. Should we go to the next episode? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Sokol is a gymnastics movement that started around 150 years ago at the very dawn of the, what is called the Czech Revival, regaining their national identity. Sokol means falcon in Czech, which is, you know, but how do you really play gymnastics into this? It seems kind of interesting. Are we talking about the gymnastics we see on television every once in a while at, or during the Olympics? Are we talking about more of an athletic movement? We're going to talk about that today. Because it's hard to overstate its importance and extent for this ph- phenomenon, we're going to kind of take it step by step today to talk about how it spread through the country. Every little town and hamlet through the Czech Republic and Czechoslovakia had some sort of connection to this to this so-called movement. So it, it was founded uh, while Bohemia was still part of the Austrian-Hungarian Empire. It was a way to be patriotic, to have something in common with your fellow Bohemians, and even a place to discuss politics and a few other things while still flying under the radar behind the, the crown of the Austrian-Hungarian Empire. So the so-called movement was founded in 1862 in Prague by Miroslav Tirsch and Jindrich Figna. Founded, so they founded the Prague Gymnastics Union. And Tirsch was a professor, and Fugna was a banker that funded it. They based it off of a similar movement happening in Germany at the time. And it ended up being so successful that branches all over started popping up, even outside of Bohemia, in other places where Czechs were in the Austrian Empire, and then even beyond that, like including the states. There was, there was um, uh, some that even popped up like the next year after this in America. To jump ahead a little bit, by around 1880, the leaders of Sokol got together and they restructured it 
to add a sort of kind of militaristic aspect to it. So individual clubs were called battalions, and the chief commander, which in Czech is a nachelnik, was the head. So, you know, now you're talking a battalion with the chief commander at the head. And to kind of shove it into their Austrian overlord's face, they chose a uniform based on uh, the, the Garibaldi soldiers' uniforms from the Italian Revolutionary War against Austria. So kind of like this, this well, really that, that's pretty, red shirt. Yeah, I, and you, I don't think that was probably lost on the, on the Austro-Hungarian uh, yeah, authorities, I, do I know, you think? Yeah, well, I also read that... Like a little poke in the eye? <laughs> it wasn't just that. It was also like it was the brown pants from some Bulgarian revolution, and the, the hat was a... Um, I don't remember what it's called, but but uh, against the Ottoman War against the Austrians, so it was like all the Austrians' enemies. They took a piece of clothing, and that became the so-called uniform in the in the eighty in the eighteen eighties. And the so-called flag, it was basically wet red with a white falcon, and it was designed by the writer Karolina Svetla and painted by known Czech artist Josef Manes. So Manes. all through basically a Czech a Czech creation. Uh, yep. for the Czech revival. So at, at that time, they were focusing on marching drills, fencing, that, that's your deal, and weightlifting, okay? Now, in 1887, the Habsburgs finally, or the, the, rather the Habsburg kind of authorities, not the Habsburgs themselves, but they finally allowed, after some 20 years worth of proposals, the formation of the Union of Sokol Clubs, and it's called the Czech Sokol Community, and oh boy, it's the Česka Ob Obets Sokolska, the CHOS. And the Union centralized all the Sokols in the Czech lands, and then they, they sent out trainers to the rest of the kind of Slavic world and founded other institutions, including places like Krakow, uh, Lub Ljubljana, uh, Zagreb, and even within the Russian Empire, uh, though mostly in, in kind of what is today Ukraine, basically. And then in 1889, though officially forbidden by the authorities, members of the Prague Sokol went to the World's Fair in Paris. There they won several medals and established strong connections with uh, kind of French gymnasts and the French Republic, so there was a, there was a tie there after that. The Sokols are kind of credited with establishing the, the beginning of this really strong French sympathy for the Czechs and their kind of you know, then their sub subsequent political alliances on this trip. So the French were, you know, a, a Czechoslovak ally, and, and some kind of credit the so-called movement of, of this happening. Now, it became, like you said, it became part of the Czech National Revival, and by 1900, we're talking 630 battalions with 50,000 members. The authorities of Austria-Hungary continually kept a close eye on this, right? Makes sense. You, right. You're talking, you know, 50,000 people. Is, is this an army? In uniform, yeah. basically marching <laughs> in place. But the reputation and the prestige of the so-called continued to grow despite this, and soon the so-called members, not even so secretly, started to ca call themselves and were known by the Czech National Army, okay? And now we get into... Um, this is this is where the phenomena really comes in, okay? Because when, when we talk about sleti, so sleti, it, it means like falcon's nest or falcon troop or, or flock. I think it means flock, actually. Well, I mean, what, what is a sleti? A sleti is a huge coordinated displays of, gymna of mass gymnastics. You're talking about a spectacle of people, yeah. right? All right, so you're talking tens of thousands of people in one given place mm -hmm. um, performing acts of physical prowess 
and, and coordination ability. So when we look at uh, defining these pictures of hundreds of people, thousands of people lined up in a row doing gymnastics in giant stadiums or fields, this was time to show uh, their side of patriotism that they had at the time. And this still, still would go on to, uh, in some extent, you see this today. Mm -hmm. What is the largest stadium that we have here in Prague? It's one of the largest in the world. Oh, I don't know. Is it the is it the Sparta one? No, it's the Slavio. The Slavio. The Slavio one. I, I I think it's 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 still one of these places where these fairgrounds and you can't play concerts there. I think the Rolling Stones actually came here at one point many years ago to try to play this venue, but they couldn't because it was too big. That gives you an idea. In a place, you know, Rolling Stones is going to bring a lot of people from the Czech Republic to watch this. Yeah. Um, and it's just massively just too big. So uh, it was great for these type of spectacles. Keep in mind, this is all under the Austrian-Hungarian uh, Empire at the point. Uh, and, and I want I want to make this, maybe we need to put some context in here for people that aren't familiar with this history, Travis. Why is there so much animosity towards the, the Austro-Hungarian Empire? If you, were, if you were Czech, they were part of the empire, but... Their name's not even well, in the, in, in the uh, as, not even not even the flag because yeah, it's because they call it a dual monarchy. Even right. though the emperor had, he was also the king of Bohemia. So they kind of got shafted. So you're talking about the Austrian and the Hungarian monarchy, and Bohemia isn't even they're not even brought up. They're they're a non-entity politically. Yeah, I think they even called it the Greater Danube Empire actually at the time, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. So it's so if you if you were to take historically look at maybe the viewpoint the rest of the empire had on the Czechs, you would have to look at um, what this maybe a snobbery? I I, I, want, I probably would say I would say that that the Austrians were the ones running the show. The Hungarians were the ones that that gave. They were their ugly little brother. Well, I, that's not. I, that's not right. I I, <laughs> I would say that, that that they they held the, both of them were held in great esteem, but the Czechs were either too bucolic, too farm-like, and also too uh, part of the industrial wing, depending on part of the upper Moravia area where they had nothing but industry. You know, it, it really was considered, yeah, we'll take the checks in part of this, but they're basically a buffer zone with the rest of Europe, and, and they're providing us with their um, industrialization. But they really weren't considered equals. And I think you see this with the Sokol movement, that this is their chance for the average Czech citizen to say, wait a minute, we want to be stand and counted here as well, right? So... You know, looking looking ahead, it's hard to separate Sokol from the movement, uh, uh, from from other ideas of patriotism, or even a pan-Slavic sort of state. They were all deeply intertwined with each other, mm -hmm. right? All somewhat interrelated. As soon as World War One uh, uh, began, Sokol members uh, were actively trying to get their people to defect from the Austrian-Hungarian side to the Russian side, and were also helping to recruit members for the Czech Legion, the famous Czech Legion that went through Russia. Yep. Right. So uh, it continued after the rise of the First Republic of being a member uh, was the same thing as being a supporter of President Masaryk, the first president of Czechoslovakia. He had sometimes had links to, to Hussitism, but uh, they were thought not to be very, the links to, to be very strong. Yeah, in fact, I mean, being a, being a supporter of Masaryk and being a Sokol member was a synonym. Right, it, it came together. It, it meant the same thing. Same thing. Yeah. Right. I mean, it, it was really that strongly linked. So I, I'm, um, I'm going to probably just leap out on a ledge here, Travis. If the Austrian-Hungarian Empire didn't like this, and the so-called movement still continued well into the 20th century, I bet when the Nazis came in for the occupying forces, they probably didn't dig it too much either. Yeah. One more. One more thing on this that I'll point out because you mentioned the Hussite thing. Um, so it did basically mean it did have a link with Protestant. Protestantism, and so in Moravia, especially where there's more Catholics, um, the Catholics had a competing deal called Orel, which means eagle. 
Orel. So it, it was kind of more common in Moravia. Sokol, Sokol was everywhere, but the Catholics in particular uh, had this eagle thing instead. But yeah, it, it definitely expanded in the First Republic, but like you're kind of hinting at, the Nazis, they put the kibosh on it because, yeah, Nazis banned it in World War II because it was just way too Czech patriotic and then Germans were all about German patriotic uh, stuff. And then even after the war, so it had a, a quick little revival for about two, three, four years, and then the communists dissolved it again. But the communists did it in a different way because the communists like the idea because you're getting, it's a people's movement and you're getting everyone together and everyone's on the same page. So the, the communists kind of brought it back and they did the same thing. So they rebranded it into a mandatory thing and tied it strictly to the communist party. So you can no longer be a Sokol leader unless you're you a know, communist a member. Uh, yeah, a party yeah. member. And every five years, the uh, the communists held what is known as a Spartakiada, like in, instead of an Olympiada, like instead of the Olympics, basically, they had the Spartan Games. Um, but same kind of idea, and, and I, I have a little booklet from East Germany, and they did it too. So they kind of their way to shun the Western Olympics in one way, and also to kind of keep keep this, you know, f people's movement and this group thing going. And so, for instance, in the Strahov Stadium, there was like thousands, like you mentioned, thousands performed in basically the same way as before in the Sleti. So, same thing, but now they're wearing like kind of a more communist, you know, different clothes, but same idea, and now they had to do it, um, you know. But basically, same same thing going on. Again, it's hard to, especially in the First Republic, it's hard to describe how just how all-encompassing this was like the whole family was involved you know you you have um everybody outside in the field doing exercises the younger would be kind of a lower rank you know i'm, I'm making air quotes here and the parents could be involved in the organization of the deal or even you know some of the leaders in the front you know telling them which moves to do next and all that and so so you know you go there as a family like okay we're going to go to sleti or what whatever you know and okay so when the Pinkos finally fell, uh, Sokol was refounded in 89. And, but then, it, you know, it never had its, its the, the, the all-encompassing feel of the First Republic. So then it was kind of more of like a formal thing. But uh, to this day, there's a slet planned for every six years. So last year, we had a big one in, in 2012. So it's still going on. I mean, it's... It's still a thing to some extent, and I, I, I mentioned at the very beginning that there's some in the States. Well, yeah, it, actually, at the very beginning, you go to the beginning when the Sokol movement was uh, started off in the 1860s. The, there was an American Sokol organization in St. Louis, Missouri uh, in 1865, just right after the American Civil War, uh, mm -hmm. and just three years after the original organization began in Prague. Uh, in 1937, there was American Sokol membership. Uh, roll, the roll count was somewhere around 20,000 Americans. You'll find that in certain urban areas in the United States, especially in the Midwest, Chicago, St. Louis, there's a lot of Czech immigrants. Yeah. They sure. wanted to bring that over there for that source of pride that you were talking about, Travis. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, glad, I'm glad we did this show because there's a lot of, for an expat to come in and see these pictures, and if you go to some of these so-called clubs or these places, there's a few of them in town where you have these giant pictures, black and white pictures of beautiful yeah, looking peep, young people There's a chain of line. restaurants that, that yeah. is all based off of this. You see all these old newspaper clippings from yeah. the movement. I was in Chesky Budiovice in uh, Budweiser, if, if you will. And um, it, like, I, like at the, the very beginning, you mentioned that there's a, a 
basically a building in every city, and it's central. In Chesky Budiovice, we're talking right off the main square is this huge cube of a building with the with the falcon on it and says Sokol. So it was like at the town center, you know, right off prominent. the town square. Yeah. Prominent, big, often really ornate, you know. So, oh yeah, it's they're well, still there. To an American eye, and I'm glad we brought this up, to an American eye, when you see these pictures on some of these buildings of all these physically fit young men and women all in the line, you know, you know, showcasing what their people are supposed to be about. My knee-jerk reaction was, "Oh, this is a fascist or communist, you know, you know propaganda." And that—that that was the first thing that came to my mind when I heard about this. And you see oh, this okay. big falcon. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're thinking, "Wow, this is kind of very oppressive." The sort communists of group. embraced it. it well, yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. But now we know more about this, especially in this podcast. We're going to give you this idea that that this was really deep rooted and in a struggling way to grasp for patriotism about what it meant to be Bohemian or Czech uh, in, in the face of all these other oppressing organizations or, or governments that, yeah. that kept you under their thumb. Mm -hmm. This was a way to, for you to express you're proud of your, your background. Uh, absolutely amazing to me. I'm glad we, we talked about it tonight. You can still hear so-called greetings um, uh, all the time, uh, especially maybe in bars when people get a little drunk. Which is well, it's the, it's the it's the most informal greeting. It's just like it's what's up. It's Nasdar. 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 Yeah. Nasdar. It's just, it's basically just like hey, you know what's up. It's like, it's like as informal as you get, right? Yeah, and so so <laughs> if you go into a pub or something like that, you go Nasdar. You might want to do that to somebody you know. Might yeah, be, yeah, it might yeah. be nice. You, you don't want to just kind of yell at a stranger. Um, but uh, you know, I, I think if you ever see uh, the, the scary movies uh, in in Czech uh, or the, the what's up scene. Well, I'm yep. dating myself from the 90s and that was up, right? Yeah, but okay. if you watch the Czech dub version, it's Nasdar. Oh, <laughs> so so it, is, it, is, it is something that is part of the lexicon here, um, and uh, you do hear it quite a bit. Wrapping up this podcast tonight, Travis, you had mentioned before the show that you think this was beyond influential in, in trying to um, embrace what it means to be Czech through a time that was difficult. The 20th century, to say it was difficult would be a giant understatement for many people in the world, but the Czech, for the Czech people, it was super difficult for, uh, for a variety of reasons. But you said this was instrumental for making Czechs Czechs in a lot of ways. Can you explain that? You know, to bring back the language and to invent a dictionary is one thing, but the fact is is that the, the Czech language was in a severe decline. Not, I wouldn't say it was non-existent, but it, you know, if you talk to the average farmer, half their vocabulary, just the, the tools and the words around the farm, they ended up using German words. And you know, it was such a strong thing to actually say, no, hold on, we need to preserve our culture after 300 years of occupation and to bring it back to such a popular level. The argument could be made that without the so-called movement, without this huge popular kind of grassroots movement, that it just, you know, wouldn't have happened or wouldn't have happened the way that it did. Well, we want to thank you very much for listening tonight. We'll be back again in a couple of weeks with a new podcast on, on the Bohemican.com uh, website. You can take a look at some of the stories we have for you already and a little bit more on the so-called movement. Again, thank you all for listening tonight. Yep, thanks. You have been listening to the Bohemican podcast with Pete Coleman and Travis Doe. Visit bohemican.com for more information on this episode, other episodes, and much more information about history, traditions, and culture in the Czech Republic. Find us on iTunes, subscribe, and review, and don't forget to rate us. We would love to hear from you. Send comments, ideas, and corrections on our comments page on bohemican.com. Or get in touch via Facebook or Twitter. Tune in to our sister podcast, History of Alchemy, which is also on iTunes or on historyofalchemy.com. 
Until next time on the Bohemian Podcast, thank you for listening.